as we um, yeah, keep going through Advent. Um, Sam started this series last week. Um, we, we're talking about the Psalms through Advent. Um, and yeah, he did Psalm 96 last week. We're going to do Psalm 121 this week, but only, we're actually only going to look at the first two verses today. So it's going to be quite uh, small, but really condensed. And, and these are some of the verses that you might even know um, as well. Um, they're, they're in different songs as well and, and really great to sing. And um, yeah, if you, we've been doing Advent for a few years now, but if you haven't really practiced Advent before, it, it's just, I guess, the, a season and, and practice in the Christian calendar leading into Christmas that we kind of posture ourselves like people were waiting um, for Jesus' first coming. We, we kind of engage with that posture of waiting and anticipation leading into Christmas. Um, but as we are also doing that, we just engage with this posture of waiting for Jesus' return. And, and, and Sam, Sam kind of preached on that. Last week, in reference to that, that we're looking to Jesus coming to renew all things in this posture of waiting. And I suppose that's kind of what happens during, during Christmas. Like, I guess a lot of, um, there's a lot of build-up into to Christmas, which you might be experiencing already and, and might be really excited about. Uh, Christmas is a time of, where people talk lots about joy and, and hope and, and peace and um, have, have plans and, and, and goals and kind of a vision for what, what it will be. And it's this, this kind of picture that we kind of hope for and look for, um, often around family or um, friends and, and celebration. Uh, but then it's also an experience around Christmas as well, like we've already talked about, um, that almost because Christmas has so much anticipation and and excitement, and we're talking about these ideal things like love, joy, and peace, sometimes the reality of our lives and relationships and the world is even more clear that it's not that, <laughs> that it's not as good as maybe we would like it to be or, or even that it's not like it should be. And, and sometimes that can be quite difficult for people because almost the ideal uh, accentuates that the reality is, is doesn't match, it doesn't match up. Um, and there can be a tension, and there can be a, a gap. Um, and I guess the hope for us, and, and part of the reason why we, I guess, uh, want to celebrate Christmas and celebrate Advent, is, is not just to, to have a celebration, but, but actually to meet God. And I think what we'll see just from this, this psalm, and even from what has already been shared today, when there's a gap between the ideal and the real, there's actually an invitation to meet God in the midst of it. And I think we see that even in just a few verses of this, this psalm. Uh, so I might just pray quickly and then, then we'll look at this today. So yeah, Lord, we just thank you for your word. Um, thank you for the psalmist who wrote this. And here I just pray you give us grace to engage and to see you and to meet you in, in the tensions that, that we live with. Um, and yeah, we just ask you, we'd meet you this Advent, this Christmas, uh, and just yeah, see your work in our lives. And yeah, we just bless this time in your name. Amen. So the psalm starts, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Um, or some translations say, I lift my eyes to the hills. And if you have it in your Bible, it, you'll actually see this psalm is one of the songs of ascent. Um, if you don't know or haven't heard of those, there's a group of psalms kind of around this area which were read out, um, particularly while people were traveling on pilgrimage up to Jerusalem um, for a feast or a celebration. So they're kind of preparing to go for a big celebration, a feast, kind of like we might be preparing for Christmas, although theirs would be way bigger. And, and it's in Jerusalem, in the capital, and they would be on a big journey that they'd be walking to get there, and there's all these different psalms that they would sing. Um, and there's a few different ways to interpret what these hills are. Um, some people interpret them that the hills are kind of uh, dangers, um, or maybe hills are where people are worshipping other gods in, in high places. Um, that, that's kind of one interpretation. From the research I've been doing this week, I'm going to go more 
with what the psalmist is saying. He's actually saying the mountains or the hills where Jerusalem is, is what he's lifting his gaze to, because they would be going up to the hills and to the, to the temple mount. So he's, he's saying, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. And when he's saying that, he means God's temple, the, the destination, the, the place of God's presence, the, the place that represents the Garden of Eden and, and heaven and earth together. It's, it's God's ideal picture of what human life is supposed to be like, and everyone's moving toward it to celebrate is, is this picture. And it has this lifting of his eyes has this tone of, of longing. And as we engage with Advent, that's what we're invited to, is, is to engage with a posture of actually longing for God's ideal future. Um, I, 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 leading into Jesus' first coming, people were longing for the, the King and the Saviour, and, and Jesus has come, and we get to experience his, his kingdom now, but there's still um, a not yet sense of there's still a, a future coming and a future renewal of all things. And we are not on a journey to physical Jerusalem, um, but we are, in a sense, on a journey to like heavenly Jerusalem, to, to being in God's presence, to seeing him face to face, to being transformed, to being like Jesus, that that's actually the direction of our lives if we're followers of Jesus. And uh, we're actually invited to, to, to lift our eyes to that future, to, to think forward. And we already do that with lots of things. Like if, if we're on a journey somewhere, it's because we already have a destination. If, if you're going on holidays, there's a journey, but, but in your mind, you're picturing where you're going to be. And that might even be, at the moment, in, in, in for Christmas, it might be like an ideal Christmas celebration. Or it might be a situation in your life where God has called you to a certain thing, or there's a, there's a certain dream, or there's a certain wish for, for how he might want to work through you, or what you'd like to see in your, in your family, or your society, or, or the world, which is this can create a sense of longing. And it's actually good. It's good to long for God's ideal future. It's good to have a vision for the future, but not just things that are in the short term, but, but ultimately uh, what we're to do is to look forward to that ultimate goal when, when everything is renewed and made whole. Uh, Leslie Newbegin puts it this way. He says, the true horizon is not at the successful end of our projects, but in his coming to reign. Sometimes, um, I don't know if you experience this, you might be excited about something and you think if, if this just happens, if, if we had this change in our lives, then, then we'd be happy. Or, or then things will be good. And you get there and you need something else. And you get there and you need something else. And it can kind of feel like maybe life is just one thing after another thing after another thing and then you die. And it's like fairly meaningless. But the truth from the Bible is that actually history has a direction. Actually history has an end point and a goal that everything's heading towards and it's not just that things get a bit better for us. It's actually that Jesus returns and renews the whole world. And actually we are transformed with new bodies to actually love God totally and love each other perfectly like Jesus does. Like that's actually the thing that we deeply long for. And like the psalmist who's just, he's looking to Jerusalem, we can take this posture and lift our eyes to the heavenly Jerusalem, to, to Jesus' return, to, to ultimately what we're called to as Christians, which is a high ideal. And we even, even I guess when, when we teach, uh, when, I, when I share, others share, um, we've talked a lot about Jesus' teaching this year and, and what he calls us to, and they're like high ideals. <laughs> they're, they're, 
they're, they're, they seem beyond us, right? But we're still called to lift our eyes and see, well, this is what Jesus is like. And actually, this is how we are to be. Whereas so often we can easily get bogged down in, in the moment or in, in the, the challenge or lift our gaze maybe to next month or maybe to next year. But we're actually called to lift our eyes to the mountain of God, lift our eyes to the vision of God, that what he's actually called us to, where he's actually leading history towards. So this is what the psalm writer does. But then, very quickly, he says, where does my help come from? He's, he, he's look, thinking about going to Jerusalem, but then straight away recognizes he needs help. He's, he needs help to get there. Uh, Sam has mentioned it before, that on the journey to Jerusalem, there, it's dangerous. There, there was robbers and, and thieves. People could be attacked. I guess there's, there's a need for energy to, to get there. Uh, maybe there's uncertainty whether he'll make it. Uh, one other commentator said some of the um, Israelites would have read this psalm while they're in exile. They've, they've been left, left Jerusalem, left Israel. They're in Babylon, and they're saying, I lift my eyes to the mountains. They're picturing Jerusalem and saying, well, where's our help? Like, how are we going to get to Jerusalem when there's a whole oppressive power that's enslaved us? Like, they desperately need help when they recognize the, the reality. And this is another posture that we can take, is that we don't just look at the ideal that God's called us to or what his vision for the world is, but that then we also embrace the reality of our weakness. That actually, what God has called us to, we can't do. We actually don't have the resources in our own strength. Actually, he's called, um, like, we, we can't transform the world and renew all things. We find it hard even to love people or like, like even to live without fear is, is difficult. And again, I'll preach on that, right? Jesus says, don't be afraid. Be free from anxiety. And then throughout the week, I'll struggle with anxiety a lot. Like it, there's a gap between the ideal and the real. But there's also a need to, act, to actually acknowledge that gap. And it's actually just a strange thing that in Christianity, the actual place of strength is the place of honesty about reality. Actually being honest about the reality of our weaknesses is actually the place to be strong. Whereas if we say, oh, no, we can do it. Like, we'll, just, we'll just muster up the strength. That's actually the place of weakness when we put it on ourselves. One commentator, Alexander McLaren, puts it this way. He says, um, some old language, but brethren or brothers and sisters, if on the one hand we have to cultivate for a healthy, vital Christianity a vision of the mountains of God, that's the longing for God's ideal, thinking about what his call is, his vision is for the church, for our lives, for the world. We need to cultivate that and keep that. But then he said, on the other hand, we have to try to deepen in ourselves the wholesome sense of our own powerlessness and the conviction that the dangers on the road are far too great for us to deal with. Unless we, when we sit ourselves to this warfare, feel the formidableness of the enemy and recognize the weakness of our own arms, there is nothing but defeat for us. He says, he's effectively saying, what we must do is recognize we are incredibly weak and powerless. And, and like someone traveling to Jerusalem has opposition, us seeking to fulfill God's call and his ideal and, and bring his kingdom in the world, we have opposition, as we've already talked about. And actually, we have to recognize that in ourselves, the opposition is too big for us. We actually are powerless against it. We almost picture an army that is beyond us. This actually happened um, physically 
in a story in Second Chronicles. There's this amazing story of King Jehoshaphat who's in Jerusalem, um, in this place of God's presence and, and God's ideal reality and, and kingdom, but it's surrounded by enemies and huge enemies that outnumber them that are coming to destroy them, which is not ideal, uh, but it's the reality of the situation. It's not how it should be. that God's enemies should have been dealt with, right? But this is where they find themselves. But the king's response is to acknowledge the reality brutally, honestly. He, he calls people to come to pray. He calls people on this pilgrimage to Jerusalem to seek God and to pray. And then he prays. And at the end of his prayer, he's so honest. He says this, For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's what the king says to God. He says, if we look at our army, if we look at our resources, we, we can't. We have no power. We're powerless. They're way bigger. And so we don't know what to do. And he's the king, right? He's the one that everybody's looking to. Is, just imagine the stress and the pressure that people are feeling surrounded by armies. They're all looking to the king. What are you going to do? And he doesn't know. So all he does is he just says to God, I don't know what to do. I have no idea. But I'm looking to you. And this is what the psalm writer in Psalm 121 does as well. He's, he, he, he has this vision of God's ideal heading to Jerusalem. He recognizes his need for help, but then he recognizes that God is his help. My help comes from the maker, from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. God actually fills and bridges the gap. That's what we're invited to do, to trust God to bridge the gap. And again, this happened in this uh, um, story of King Jehoshaphat. It's, it's just crazy that he comes to God, surrounded by armies. He comes and prays and says, we don't have a clue what to do, but we're looking, we're looking to you, God, as our help. Straight after that, a prophet comes to him and says this in verse 15. Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all you who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Again, it's this acknowledgement that he can't fight this. He can't do it. He's not up to it. But God is the one who will fight. God is the one who will deal with it. So they adopt a posture of worship. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and Korathites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, in a very loud voice. So again, they're surrounded by armies, but their posture is to praise and to worship God and to thank God because they've just been told they don't need to be afraid because God is their help. So then they actually adopt this as their war battle strategy. Uh, they literally walk out to God in worship. It says in verse 20, early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. That's his strategy, right? All, the, all surrounded by armies, they, the, the soldiers are going to battle. What's the one thing he says? Have faith. Trust God. And then the way to help his soldiers and battle army trust God, it says after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, 
for his love endures forever. Literally, they walk into a battle that they cannot win with the musicians and the singers at the front in worship and praise. Singing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. That becomes their battle strategy because they know that God's plan, right, is for Jerusalem to stay. Like, that's his ideal plan. They know that they have no hope in fighting with their weapons, so they're trusting God to fill the gap. And if God's going to fill the gap, then all that matters is trusting, and the way to trust him is to praise him and to worship him. So that's the the strategy that they adopt. Then it says, um, As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab, and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Literally, the Lord fought the battle for them. It doesn't say what happened. There's a whole army. It just says, the Lord ambushed them. Like, that's scary. Like, don't even know what that, that means. But, but God dealt with it. That he, he bridged that gap for them. He was their help. They're going against this huge army, but their help is the maker of heaven and earth. So there's no need to fear. There's no need to worry. So this is a posture, I think, and, and a tool that I've been trying to use this week that we can perhaps use and engage with a bit through Advent, which is just these, these two, two verses in, in Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the mountains to try and engage with this posture of longing for God's ideal. It's actually good to look toward heaven. It's actually good to look towards Jesus' return. It's actually good to not just be satisfied and comfortable and think that life is great. Now we give thanks and, and to be content, but to, but to seek what, what's God's plan for my life and for the, for the future and, and for the world. But sometimes that, that taking that posture of ideal can turn into idealism or can even turn into ideology and then can turn into frustration. If that's just, if everything, we just think everything has to fit this ideal, it can just lead to, to frustration because often it doesn't. So we also have to embrace the reality of our weaknesses. We have to embrace the reality of the world and where it is at. We have to embrace the reality of uh, our situation and, and our capacity and actually just be totally honest about that. Now, if we do that without acknowledging the ideal, we probably just become apathetic. We just say, well, this is the reality. Like, I can't grow as a person in love or, or I've failed or, or there's no hope for this. Like, if we, if, we, if we only have the reality, maybe it's more comfortable but we actually miss, miss the opportunity to seek God. We actually need to live in this tension of ideal and real, but then trusting God in, to help in the gap. Trusting God with hope. So this is hope that actually doesn't deny reality. We're not called to hope that's wishful thinking or hope that, that is ignorant. We're actually called to a hope that is totally brutally honest about the way things are at now, but just has absolute faith in God to bridge the gap. Because the truth is, as we've been singing, Jesus has already come. The kingdom is already installed in part. Jesus is in charge of the world. And we believe that by faith, that he will renew all things and that everything's heading toward that direction. But, But if you look at the reality of the world, right, it doesn't really look like that right now. Um, but we, we believe and we trust God in the gap to fill it. As well, we, we may be thinking about our following of Jesus and, and our struggles with fear, with struggles with opposition, and, and maybe our ability to even be faithful. Again, 
We trust God to fill the gap. There's this beautiful verses from Jude we'll finish with today, and then, then we're going to sing one more, one more song in a moment. It says this from Jude, verses 24 to 25. To him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. That's God's ideal vision for our lives. That's our future. When we lift our eyes to the mountains, that's what we are to picture, that we will be before God's throne without fault, with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. If you could stand, stand with me, and then uh, we will pray and, and then sing, um, and we'll have morning tea. If you'd like prayer at all today for anything, feel free to come forward after the service as well. There'll be people here who can pray for you too. So we thank you, Lord, for your um, mercy and, and grace and help. And we just look up to you and, yeah, the grand vision of heaven and the heavenly Jerusalem and your presence, your plan for the world, Jesus, your kingdom. We ask you to stir our hearts to long for it, to look to it, to be excited for it, Lord. And we come and acknowledge our weaknesses and the realities of our um, our struggles, our, our flesh, Lord, our, our failures, our fears. We just say that we cannot follow you in our own strength. We are powerless to see change in the world in our own strength, but we look to you and your spirit to fill the gap. We put all our confidence in you as our help, as the maker of heaven and earth. And we just repent, Lord, of when we've placed confidence in ourselves, in our strategies, in our abilities, in our smarts. We just say that we can do nothing and we trust and worship you who can do everything. We just pray, fill us yeah, with praise and thanksgiving. Um, we just pray your mercy and grace in, in your name, Jesus. Amen.